John chapter 11, verses 44, or 40 through 44, picking up from where we left off last week. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice. Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Lord, we thank you today for your word and just ask you, Holy Spirit, to just speak to us, Lord. Continue to just let faith rise up in our hearts, Lord. Just let our hearts be filled with your word, with your spirit today. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. As we were digging into last week, what a great miracle this was being witnessed with Within the word of God, appropriately so, the, the last public, you could say, miracle prior to the crucifixion of Christ. Of course, we had the miracle of the ear being healed from Peter's missed swing, trying to cut off a head, cut off an ear, and Jesus, instead of having to replant a head, just instead healed the guard's Ear. I think the head would have been a pretty awesome miracle too, though. And so the time came when Lazarus was commanded to come forth, and come forth he did. Lazarus's miracle was awesome on so many accounts and on so many levels. But what we also see with Lazarus was this picture of salvation. We saw it all throughout Jesus when he lived and walked and ministered upon this earth, but maybe none as clearly as when Lazarus was raised from death to life. We can get a couple more amens from that one. From death to life. One who was dead but was now alive. You know, Christians and even preachers at times, we mistakenly so put a wrong emphasis on maybe sometimes what we would say somebody being saved versus somebody being radically saved. Can anybody say amen? I mean, we, of course, it, it makes for a great story and, and testimony. Those of us who are 
radically saved, whatever that means today in today's context. But one thing with Lazarus's miracle is that it was very clear when someone's dead, they're dead. I know that's pretty profound. But the profound part of it is when somebody who was dead is brought back to life, they are then alive. Ephesians, where it tells us that chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and your sin. Every one of us, for some portion of our life, were Lazarus. We were all Lazarus. We were all dead. They're actually, don't tell the person next to you, but there might be a Lazarus in the room today. At some point, now Lazarus's story, his miracle was one that had a pretty quick turnover. But of course, Jesus's life of three and a half years had this, had this three and a half year turnover that would now we're going on 2000 plus years. So again, it was all pinned and it was all done for our benefit. Lazarus's turnaround from sickness to death to life might've been a week long. Maybe he was sick longer than the two days when they gave Jesus a notice, but best we can tell, there was somewhere between four to six to seven days maybe that Lazarus had this turnaround. But when Lazarus was risen from the grave and Lazarus was resurrected, it helps us to see that there is no distinction that needs to be made from death to life. Before Christ comes and says, Lazarus, come forth, we all were dead. And when Jesus came into our life and he says, Gary, and he says, Deb, and he says, Jared, and he says, Kimmy, and he says, Christina, he says, come forth. We all at that moment, we come back to life. But it was also a beautiful story. And this is all basically sort of the introduction today. I don't know how far we're going to make it today. Just... There's a whole bunch of things going on in here and in here. When Lazarus was raised to new life, though it was an awesome miracle, I have a feeling there was a side of it that looking back at it might have been a bit comical. Maybe not in the moment because when you're in the moment and there's somebody dead in the grave for four days and they're concerned about smell and they're concerned about decomposing and they're concerned about all these things and this person comes walking out of the grave from dead to life, of course, the immediate reaction was shock and astonishment and thankfulness and awe, right? Oh, but I guarantee you there were some stories that were told later on. 
Because here Lazarus is bound head to foot. I'm sort of thinking that Lazarus coming out of the grave probably looked something more like this. And they're like, Lazarus, you're looking the wrong way. Oh! (laughs) Because there he is, bound from head to foot. I mean, there's a lot of Lazarus jokes in there. Good, I'm sure. I'm not a good joke teller. But you know, Lazarus probably said something like, Oh, Lazarus, what happened when... You know, you came out of that grave and it's something to the effect of, well, you know, I was rolling over in my grave when I heard the voice come forth. I don't know. I won't try any more. Trust me. I'm not, I'm not that preacher. I'll give you a list of people. You can go YouTube. It's not me. But he probably looks something like that. He's on the thing. He's like, Hopefully there were no stairs that he had to climb out. Because sometimes, as with the grave of Christ, there are a couple stairs that you got to sort of get up. So it was kind of like, yeah, we're being funny, I know. And I don't want to take this point too far, but we're we're having a little bit of fun with it. I believe it to be true, but we are having a little bit of fun with it. Isn't it true that when many of us are called out from death to life that we also look a little bit funny when we first come out of that grave? We feel a little funny. We probably look a little funny. We don't quite know how to to walk right yet or maybe there's still some, some bindings around us. Of course, Lazarus turned around again. It was, it was a quick turnaround. But Jesus, having quickly when he came out of that grave, understanding what was happening and perhaps the difficulty of how Lazarus was going to get any further, Jesus then gave him those instructions to loose him and to let him go. Again, we don't want to dive too much and make too much out of something that was really just a, maybe at the moment a, a practical solution to a dead man being raised, needing to be unbound. But how true is it when we come into our walk with God that we need other people to come around us and to unbind us and begin to help us, show us how to walk, show us how to talk, show us how to be free. I mean, I remember I came out into salvation. You've heard me tell the story. I was, I was, man, born again and saved for maybe a month or so. And, man, I was, I was still cursing like a sailor. I don't know. I guess sailors curse. I'm not a, I'm not a military man. But that's what they say, right? And I remember, I remember having that, that binding still around me and sitting there on first night at Teen Challenge and my roommate, probably the only thing that he ever helped me with, but thank the Lord he helped me with this one. He said to me, he said, you know, Jamie, you're a Christian now. You're a man of God now. You're, you're going to change the way that you talk. 
And I said, what the beep were you talking about? (laughs) And he began to take off some of those bindings that were around me. And began to loose me and help me. Loosed with the knowledge of God. Loosed and helped by the, by the people of God that are there when, when we come in from this death to life experience. Let me hear me again. We all have to come from death to life. Like one person told me, they said, you know, Pastor, it, it, I know that it, it seemed to happen a little bit quick for you. But, but for me, it took some time. It took some time. Sometimes that binding and getting that binding off and and loosing, even though the Word of God is just as powerful for one as it is for the other, and the indwelling of the Spirit of the Lord is the same one for the other, there's no impartiality, there's no bias, there's no favoritism going on. But for whatever the reason, sometimes some get loosed a lot quicker and enter into the freedom of life than others. But the truth remains for every single one of us that's brought from death to life that we are to be a people who are loosed and set free and given, like Lazarus, a second chance at life. That's what the resurrection story is about. But we didn't get to the best part yet. You say, well, wasn't him being raised from the grave the best part? Well, maybe. But it's not the funniest part. When somebody's dead and buried and prepared for, prepared for the grave, I mean, you know, once you're dead, they're not, they're not so much concerned about your, your shame anymore, right? They're not so much concerned about you being embarrassed. I remember one time going into surgery, and if it gets a little bit TMI for some of us, I'm sorry in advance. But it's just the reality. You go in for some surgeries that have to, you know, take place. And, man, those medical providers, and they're just like they're trained to do certain things. And they're like, you are now a patient, and we are going to unrobe you and go to town. If there's shaving that's involved, there's shaving that's involved. If there's preparation that's involved, there's preparation. I remember when I had to get my epidectomy. I'm not saying that right, but... I remember when I had to go get that doctor help me, appendectomy, appendectomy, appendectomy. There we go. I remember that. I'll never forget that moment as long as I live. I thought, sure, you know, you just come in with a little laser, right? Boom, it's all good. I don't know why they had to shave me from chest to toes while I was awake lying on that little bed in the waiting room with people walking by. I'm like, couldn't you at least just put me out already? I mean, come on, help a man out. You see where I'm going with this. Lazarus was dead. He was prepared for burial. He he was grave clothed bound. And now Jesus was looking to him and saying, unbind that man and let him go. We don't know to the extent that the unbinding took place. But underneath the grave clothes was, was most likely 
bare human skin and flesh. And, and I'm not for a moment implying that he left that grave site having been unbound and 100% bare for all to see. We do see some instances in the resurrection story of others leaving the scene having bared all. But we do know this for sure that Lazarus, when he was unbound and that those grave clothes removed, there was, there was an openness and a transparency that was taking place. He was not a man that was prepared for the audience. <laughs> right? Hair wasn't fixed and beard wasn't trimmed and he hadn't showered and bathed for for a bit, and yet there he was, bared, unbound, grave clothes removed for all to see, whatever that actually looked like. It's a reminded me again of, the, of a picture of what the, the body of Christ should be. Not that we should be running around bearing nudity to all, not for a second, and don't take my words too far, but that when we're talking about life together and living together, that there is a transparency, there is an openness, there is a removal of that which separates us and divides us from those who we are walking with, and we are to be a people who bear our life with one another. The only reason we don't bear our life with one another is because I had a bad experience. Until you had a bad experience, like Adam and Eve, they were fine going around being nude and unclothed in the natural because they were covered by God. They were covered by their innocence. They had not yet had this bad experience of what happens when, when sin is partaken of or when betrayal sets in or when somebody hurts us or when somebody does something to us that, that we then put up a wall. The story of Lazarus' resurrection on so many levels is a, is a picture of, of coming from death to life, needing the help of Christian community and being a person who is bearing authentically our life and sharing it with one another. Lazarus's resurrection, needless to say, sparked a mini revival. You would imagine that somebody being dead coming to life in that manner would do so. Verses 45 through 48 says, Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. And if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and the nation. 
I mean, this, this sign and wonder sparked a revival amongst the Jewish people. Some were just so astonished they immediately believed. Others who were sort of halfway or maybe they were just potsters, they ran over and began to tell the Pharisees or the religious leaders and, and to get their feedback before they believed. And of course, the religious leaders began to scratch their head and you can't deny when somebody has been dead for four days that is now alive, walking around town. You can't deny it. You think the question, what now shall we do? You think it would have a simple answer. Yeah, maybe we should get on board with Jesus. Maybe we should just go ahead and start listening to somebody who can tell a four-day dead man to come alive out of the grave. Maybe that's not even the spiritual, but just the smart thing to do. They did pride themselves on being very knowledgeable. And instead of rejoicing, Instead of believing and getting on the bandwagon, there was a concern for position. There was a concern for their, their notoriety. There was a concern for their wealth. There was a concern for how they were going to be viewed within the political light of the city and the province. It's easy to get off track. It's easy to not believe when you're concerned over these things such as position and notoriety and wealth and success are our priorities in life. The religious leaders of our day, as well as Christian leaders of our day, even within churches and those at some part of leading churches, we can oftentimes make the same tragic miscalculation. In verse 49, it says, in one of them, Caiaphas. Everybody say Caiaphas. Caiaphas. Interesting character. Being high priest that year said to them, you know nothing at all. Man, it sounds like he's about to go the right way. I mean, that's kind of a good, that's kind of a good opening line. They're all, cons you know nothing at all. Nor do you consider it that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people. And not that the whole nation shall perish. It went downhill pretty quickly. From maybe he's going to come out with the right thing to next thing you know, in, in common lay language, his solution was, let's just put a hit out on the dude. Let's just put a hit out on him and be, be done with this Jesus. Again, it's... It's not a miscalculation in, in religious church or 
any leadership that doesn't continue to happen in our modern day. I'd like to reference and, and, and very cautiously so just some of the incidents that are happening in our day and age. I received a, a message from a dear friend not so long ago and referencing the, the documentary that came out. And I have not watched the Hillsong documentary. Don't know if I will, to be honest with you. Somebody messaged me who's their daughter, and we have a lot of friends over the years in a few different places, whether Australia or China or America, who have participated and been members. And, and he was messaging me about his daughter and saying, you know, it's, a, it's really heartbreaking to see what's happening. And, and I, I, I was a little slow because, again, I knew that something was coming out, and I'm sure like all of us, I saw a trailer or two, but, but I quickly just ignored it and kept going with my life. I just don't spend my time watching or listening to those sort of things. I don't know if I, I will or won't. I mean, I haven't made a firm decision, just that's not what my focus is on. And he proceeded to share a little bit about his daughter and and finally, a day or two later, I realized, oh, he's talking about the documentary, and he's talking about Hillsong, and he's talking about his daughter, and how it's a, it, it took me a day or two to really put it all together. And I began to, to look at that, having not actually watched anything, I began to look at some of the tragedy that, that's taken place. And I want to say this very gently and clearly, that... It is a tragedy, even when you look at Jesus' time with Caiaphas, who was a religious leader, or whether you look at our time and religious leaders today who are caught in scandal and caught in, in fall. It is a tragedy any time any church or pastor or Christian leader or Christian are caught up in, tra in, in scandal or caught up in sin and find themselves falling. It's a tragedy. It's not one that any of us should ever glory in, whether, whether knowingly or secretly. And let me confess, I need to watch my heart. I need to watch my heart because I've had firsthand encounters for years. And me and my wife have had to make decisions over the past decade about music and about making specific decisions about, no, we're not going to have this in, the, in our house. No, we're not going to do this. I don't make it like a hard drop the hammer, kids, you can't do this. I don't, I don't lead like that, my family. But me and my wife have made some larger sort of ministerial decisions regarding this. And so when I see these things and hear these things happening, it's tragic. And no, no good can come from the baby Christian or from the, the young Christian who, who is looking and maybe even idolizing too much some of these figures. It's part of what I was referencing earlier where, where 
the Lord will be glorified. The Lord will have his way. But inevitably, the church has to, on a global level, has to get back to its pure mission of glorifying Christ, not in the name of being, looking, sounding a certain way, but just in the way that Jesus wants himself to be glorified through us, through holiness, through sanctification, through separation. The underlining cause oftentimes, whether it be a Caiaphas or whether it be some of our leaders and some of the scandal that we have to be faced with today, the the underlining cause, at least one of them, is oftentimes when a, a man or a woman says in their heart that I am going to be somebody on this planet. I'm going to do something and I'm going to be somebody. I've heard of the stories and I've watched the churches that have literally in the matter of months or a year completely transform from having a simple glorifying Jesus mission to obviously just wanting to be and become something and somebody in this world. Whenever we determine that either on an individual level, on a religious leadership level, on a church level, on a business level, whenever we make that determination that we're going to put wealth and notoriety and position and we're going to put all these things over the miracles that Jesus is doing like with a Lazarus. Think about the the gravity of this. Four days dead, risen from the grave, and, and Caiaphas is worrying about his bank account. He's worried about his bank account. It gets more, and we're going to get more into it on Wednesday. But Caiaphas was a was a religious leader. He was no he was no novice. Like many times, our religious leaders today, they get caught up in scandal. They're no novices. Caiaphas was a leader for 18 years. Not only was he the leader for 18 years, but his father-in-law, Annas, was the leader before him. And and he was actually too powerful. The Romans said, oh, you have too much influence. We're going to turn the high priesthood over to Caiaphas, your son-in-law. While Annas was in the background still pulling all the strings. We can see that the night of Jesus' of Jesus's betrayal because Jesus actually first got brought to Annas. He didn't get brought to Caiaphas. Caiaphas was second in line to his father-in-law. Caiaphas might have had the title where his father-in-law still had all the power. It was a religious mafia. telling you to the point to put a hit out and let's let's plan an execution but in this case Jesus had to be crucified at the hands of evil men it was all playing into the plan of God but we have to be cautious 
We have to be mindful of the miscalculations that one can make about desiring to, well, I'm going to be somebody and I'm going to have a name for myself upon this earth. Not to mention it's contradictory to the very essence of the message of Christ and the cross when Jesus said that simple phrase that we all know and maybe some of us love, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. We have to be a people who willingly humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God to be lifted up when and how and if our Heavenly Father so desires. I know we're already... Let me just close with these last final thoughts to lead us into Wednesday. As we have a powerful week of teaching and remembering, experiencing what Christ has accomplished for us. But the last thing that we see with Caiaphas in today's passage is those words that Caiaphas spoke. It is expedient that one should die for the people and not the whole nation perish. You see, Caiaphas and Annas, his father-in-law, as well as the whole Sadducee sect, were quite different from the Pharisees in the sense that the Pharisees, though religious, still believed in the supernatural. The Sadducees, religious in a similar fashion to the Pharisees, but did not believe in the supernatural. You see, not only was Caiaphas concerned about wealth and notoriety and position, Jesus raising someone from the dead was against what he believed. That's a problem. Unless you humble yourselves to a new reality. And Caiaphas, having all these dilemmas of wanting to be somebody and wanting to maintain the power broker and wanting to maintain his belief system, though it was wrong and not accurate, and though he could see firsthand the results of his belief system being wrong, he begins to speak, and this is one of those powerful prophecies in Bible because it reminds me of the time that that donkey opened its mouth. Except the donkey this time wasn't an animal. The donkey this time was Caiaphas. And what it also tells me when Caiaphas speaks these words, that it's expedient that one man should perish and not the whole nation. It tells me that God can speak through any of us. Somebody say amen. Now, I know you might not like being compared to Caiaphas. But if God can use a donkey and God can speak through a Caiaphas, 
the word of prophecy and how God speaks in his words, how they proceed out into the earth are far beyond our control. Listen to this and we'll kind of close at this weird place today. Kind of as a part one, I guess Wednesday should be part two and Friday should be part three and Sunday should be part four. I just changed the whole week in just a matter of 30 seconds. Jesus's road to the cross was executed by the word of prophecy that came forth from the mouth of a religious person that did not even believe that it was possible for the dead to be raised. And certainly didn't believe in Jesus as being the Christ. And the Sadducees would even go one step further. They didn't even believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in eternity. And Jesus took this man, Caiaphas. (laughs) Y'all got to catch this. Again, I know you might not like being sort of like in any shade being related to a Caiaphas, but it, but it shows how God's word will have his way. From the word of prophecy, from this man's mouth, so was implemented the plan to take the Lord of life, the resurrection and the life, and bring him to the cross to where this week We'll be celebrating yet once again. And if the Lord so tarry, we'll celebrate it again next year. Our precious Lord's resurrection from the grave. Amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet if you would. Worship team, go ahead and come. Today's a, it's a weird place to end, but we're going to continue Wednesday. We're going to continue Friday. And we're going to continue Sunday. So make sure you join us this resurrection week. Hallelujah. Lord, just open up your hearts. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves today before the mighty hand of God. Let's humble our plans. Let's humble our agendas Let's humble our desires. If our desire is to be someone and that desire is overruling our conviction, if that desire is overruling the word of God in our life, our lifestyle, our our life of separation to the Lord, let's just humble our hearts today before the mighty hand of God. Hallelujah.